0: Hey, they're great singles wrestlers, but I would be lying if I didn't say, Jim, that when I thought about the greatest tag teams in the world, I thought about maybe, maybe it would be us at the top of the mountain. And uh, but hey, I'm proud of these guys are my best friends, and I applaud them. The
1: this week, our episode is starting with something very interesting. We've often talked about brothers in the past, and me and Mike have talked about our brothers. Jim in an earlier episode talked about his brother. Meats talked about his brother, who's a steak, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so, you know, this week we're featuring an episode with a bunch of brothers, but instead of going back to talking about brothers today, we're going to let you in on something that we all do with each other. So Mike opened me up to calling people brother. And I don't throw around the term very lightly. The first time I heard it was when Mike said it to me. It took me aback a little bit. And then I started getting used to it. And I realized there's a line. You don't just call anybody brother. You need to have like a bond. Yeah,
0: I'm not Hulk Hogan here with the brothers. I don't don't throw my brothers around freely.
1: Right, right. And I noticed that. I noticed you limited it only to a certain number of people. So I want to like discuss as part of this discussion like what's the line or what constitutes when you decide to call somebody brother or not brother meet let's start with you
2: you go through life with certain doing certain you know experiences just certain experiences through life and there's always you know there's there's a constant mm-hmm. you know you, you may be fortunate enough to have a constant person there sharing all that like back in the day mike was that was that one for me right you know so and just I think it's the experience. It doesn't have to necessarily be blood. It's, it's your friendship. It's your camaraderie. It's the experiences you go through life with. Like if you got a road dog like that, man, that's a brother.
1: So other than Mike, would you say, how many people would you say you consider like a brother level with around you? Not many.
2: There's a few. There's probably like two. Other than Mike, probably like two or three.
1: Mike, how about you? What constitutes you calling somebody brother?
0: Yeah, probably shared experiences. And uh, I mean, Most of us probably hang out with our friends or or see or talk to our friends more than we do like our our siblings.
1: Right. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely for me. (laughs) Yeah, Oh, yeah. I'd say that's
0: uh, a no-brainer, huh?
1: (laughs) So for me, like getting into that what constitutes a brother thing, I think the definition for me is having shared something special or unique with someone that you'll never forget. And so, you know, I've talked a lot about the things I've done with Mike and Mike's mom throwing everybody out of the house and (laughs) all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to share a story with you about somebody else that I call brother that you guys, Mike's met him a few times. His name's John. He's a guy in Canada. And so I have an episode with him, which is the point at which I called him brother. Like I started calling him brother. And for me, (laughs) I used to go to his house every day. We used to, like, I used to ride my bicycle to his house, leave my bicycle in his house because I didn't want to get my bicycle stolen. Then we'd walk to school. And then at lunch, we'd go back to his house. We'd order pizza. So every day we do the same routine over and over again. And one day, I don't know why, for some reason, he assumed I had money. I assumed he had money. We ordered the pizza. Neither of us had any money. (laughs) And the guy went into his father's piggy bank and started taking out like pennies. All right. And we had ordered the pizza. We started counting all of it and there was like a whole like box of pennies. So we like started counting like here's a hundred, here's a hundred. The guy comes to the door and about two or three minutes before the guy comes to the door, my friend goes, hold on a second. And he goes and he locks himself in the bathroom. And so now I've got to go and deal with the pizza guy at the door. And give him all the pennies for the pizza. And I can hear the fucker laughing through the bathroom door. Because he's not going to the bathroom. He just doesn't want to answer the door. And he wants me to answer the door. And I'm like, you motherfucker, get the fuck out of here. And like, he's dying of laughter. And then the pizza guy comes. And I'm so frustrated that I have to deal with this. So the pizza guy comes. And I give him the box. And he goes, I can't fucking take this. And I'm so pissed at like, what's just happened to me. And I'm not the kind of guy who flies off the handle with people I don't know. So I just go to the pizza guy. I go, fine, just fucking take your pizza back. And my friend opens the door of the bathroom, starts laughing. And so, like that, it was like at that moment where we shared that experience and we all just started laughing. And the pizza guy's like, fuck you guys, took the money, w- went away. And like, he just went away. And I think that was the moment at which I felt like we had a closer bond than I'd ever had before. And that was the moment I could clearly remember calling him brother. And I've had, hundreds of those moments with mike i think it's that shared like instantaneous moment that led to me calling him brother that led to me calling you brother it's not for me not just being around every day i I think it has to have like a special like a spark or something and that that's the way i see it meet you think of it just as somebody there every day
2: like mike said um You may not see your your blood often. You usually see your friends when you see your family. So it's everyday. Yeah, it's everyday. I think it's the everyday experiences, you know, going through life, you know, having someone you can depend on, you know, and being there for, you know, that person.
1: This week, the reason why we talked about that brother discussion is this week features a tag team match with a bunch of brothers who are quite possibly, arguably, and in this podcast's opinion, the best brother tag team ever. The Young Bucks. Yeah, agree, I mean, Mike? No,
0: the only one you could really put in that level would be the Hardys.
1: Uh, maybe the Hardys, the Briscoes. There's yeah, a the couple- Briscoes,
0: just because they haven't had as, as, much, uh, as right. much success, I think, all, all around.
1: Right. But I think the Bucks are clearly number one. Anybody else you put at is uh, definitely number Steiners, two.
0: You know, there's so many great ones, Briscoes.
1: Right. Yeah, the original Briscoes from the '60s, Jack and Jerry. Right. So, but the Bucks are clearly heads and tails of all everybody. I think. And on the other side, you have Adam Page and Kenny Omega. I'm not well versed on the background that happened before this match. So I'm coming at this match from the point of view that I'm looking at just what happened in this match. But Mike, you were talking about this before. How much buildup happened around this entire thing? Well
0: yeah, it's it was like years because they were friends forever. They they uh they worked together in Ring of Honor in, in New Japan and then uh you know they all they all started AEW together and with, with Adam Page, he was like, he was like the young guy coming in, you know, he was the young guy of the right. group where Kenny was, you know, Kenny was known as the best wrestler in the world. The Bucks were the best tag team. They both had all the accolades and he was kind of watching. I He's see. Watching and learning. And, and then, and then when AEW started, they had the tournament for the heavyweight championship. He ended up making it to the finals against Jericho, which, you know, everybody would like to see Page, but why not, why not give it to, to Jericho right away? But they, but it was all part of the, you know, he lost and he had the disappointment and the disillusionment and, uh, he, he. You know, he was drinking a lot more and wandered some more opportunities. And he's watching these guys succeed, and and he, and he's not. And he kind of felt like he was becoming the the odd man out with the group. You know, they they didn't feel that way so much as much as he felt that way about himself. But then they kind of started being dicky, and you know, oh. the titles got in there.
1: That whole backstory is very subtle, very modern, very different from how wrestling has been done in the past in yeah. terms of storyline. I like. I think it's yes, clever. It,
0: it was one that was worked over years, and it was and it was really, really subtle. It wasn't just so you know they, they had to pull the gun in your face. They pulled the I gun see, at the right time. I see. When they did. Had
1: I known that right, it would have been more impactful and more deep. But on the surface, without even knowing that, it was great. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, without knowing that. All right. And then, uh, so before we get into the match this week, (laughs) we talk about the commentary. We're going to talk about a bunch of things. Shivani, Ross, and Excalibur, they did a good job. They did a real good job. Ross was not that bad out of place this week. Maybe he's improving as time's passing because this is a recent match. I'm not sure, but this is the best showing of Ross thus far in AEW, in my opinion, other than the Dustin and... uh, Cody match what do well, you think Mike?
0: as we speak uh, Ross just signed a, a extension I, I believe it's for a couple more years
1: oh wow for year Good for him. Half. I
0: think maybe so uh, that being said last night he was kind of kind of you know, not last night the other night he was he was pretty bad so uh, you know he goes from being you know he goes from being you know it, I, I just like hearing his voice I guess you know if he wants to do it pretty much you know let him do it I guess it's Jim Rod. Yeah. You know he's not going to be doing it much longer, and we're, we're going to miss his voice as much as we complain about the stupid. He, he can't, he can't get Brian Danielson's name right to save his life. You know <laughs> the amount of times he's called him Daniel Bryan, and then last night he called him <laughs> Brian <laughs> Daniels. Like he, 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 he can't do that to save his life, the poor guy, because it spent so long. You know,
1: yeah, but, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, He was good in this match. Very, very yeah, good. Very good. Funny, uh, funny things that were said in it that I that I enjoyed between. The three of them,
1: between the three of them. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. Meet. What would you think about the commentary this week?
2: I think Shivani Stuck it stood out. sent me back to like 86, 87 when I was calling it. Like it was fresh. Like there's no I love pressure. hearing those old
0: voices for that reason.
2: Yeah, don't. It doesn't yeah. make it better. You couldn't have some new, new, new shitbags.
1: It's, so, it's
0: so
2: nice and nostalgic.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think
2: Excalibur is
0: the best in the business. But it's so nice that he's got such two such great guys on the side of him. It's.
2: It's hard not to perform well with them two in your corner.
1: Yeah, it was a perfect pairing. Okay, so we all, we're all all in agreement. The commentary was quite good. The ref. Eh, so, I'm going to say something that's a little bit of a hot take, Mike. If this match is a no-countout, no-disqualification match, then I would probably say this is the, one of the best tag matches I've ever seen, but this is not a no disqualification, not a no count out. So Rick Knox didn't fucking do his job like a hundred times, like and he fucking his ref jobbing is so bad. I wrote down he generally speaking he's not Bronco Lubich, he's not Nick Patrick, he's not Jack Lutz, but his work in this match was fucking awful he would count guys out like they're supposed to tag out in five seconds he counts one two three four five and then just ignores it as if he was kind of like he just stopped doing anything he just stood there and so I really was irritated by the fact that he didn't get the guys out of the ring or you just make this a match where you don't have to get the guys out of the ring and you just administer the count that might have been a better play because of the amount of double teaming that was going on here I thought he just looked foolish oh, it was awful. Yeah, Jim
0: Ross mentioned that and I, <laughs> I was figuring you would that was a that, that was obvious yeah with that and uh I had a feeling you'd say that and you know I think uh that was like a pretty much a common complaint among the AEW tag team matches though especially in the er- early goings that you know uh, the I ref- see. where you know the referee's not getting him out of the ring and he's not making it you know like a thing he's not like really mm. doing it he's like sitting there and watching the two on ones and then the, the double teams so that that was pretty right, so- common thing like a common complaint with AEW in the beginning and it you know it's it still happens but but yeah it was pretty egregious in this
1: yeah you know when there's a two-on-one right there's a there's a fourth guy in the match right so let's say you're double teaming uh Kenny Omega then Adam Page is outside somewhere so you're double teaming him the ref should go to Adam Page and make sure like are you okay or try and help him up or do something so he's distracted so it doesn't look like he's totally ignoring like the rules being violated in the ring. He just didn't do that. He just stood there. Yeah. And so I thought, yeah, that was his positioning it was awful. Meet thoughts on uh, Knox here. I didn't
2: really pay attention
1: to him. Honestly, I see. Uh, I didn't bother you much. Okay. And then uh, in the very beginning, this is something we don't talk about very often, but I have to mention it. I'm sorry. The fucking young bucks outfits are a cross between a Denim Canadian denim tuxedo and the Ultimate Warrior it looks fucking ridiculous. I know they're going for cheesy and corny, but still, it was fucking awful. Oh, I hated that look. I think they could have looked a lot cooler. Mike, thoughts on their gear? The,
0: the Bucks and you know, even Seth Rollins. I think those guys have probably the best. I think the Bucks have the best outfits in wrestling. Because they're playing these cheesy heels, and they just go overboard. You got to see, like every week, with the with the shit they wear and the the, with the with the ten thousand dollars sneakers, bragging about it like a bunch of little assholes. You know, Uh, I I think it just fits them. These these over the top. I mean, these are two over the top rustlers, right? With all all the shit they do. So I, I think it definitely fits them.
1: I see. Meet, what would you think about
2: the gear? They look cool. I thought, and I thought, I thought they look really cool.
1: Oh wow! So I'm an odd man out here. Okay. And then, meet, we haven't asked you before. We asked Jim once before in the Vader Sting match. This is an arena where there's a ramp instead of like an aisle, and so there's a ramp on the side of the the ring, and the three sides are all like down to the mats on the side. What do you think about the ring ramp? Are you a fan of that?
2: Yeah, I am, especially for this match. How they used it, how they how they used
1: it in this match. Yeah, I thought they did a good job using it for a couple of big spots. And I love the way they light the ramp. So, like, the action looks like it's extraordinarily something special instead of the ring. I thought it looked really great. You know, I've always been a fan of the ramp because I'm partial to Maple Leaf wrestling from when I was a young kid. So, I love the ramp. But uh, I thought it looked good. Well, here like The, the Jim team. Ross
0: thing being... Uh- pretty topical right now uh there was a wednesday night they did the tapings for the friday night show and -hmm. they used that ramp and i I didn't see what happened because it hasn't been on yet but i saw the pictures online and there's a video going around daniel bryan's foot got stuck between the ramp and the ring oh and he was there for like 10 minutes and he would look like he was in some really bad bad pain and people were mentioning about that you know they always use that ramp you know it's never happened before so they're thinking that maybe during the main event, somehow the ramp moved a little bit, and it, and it's just enough for him to get stuck. So uh, so we might not be seeing that ramp anymore. Daniel Bryan does not like yeah. that ramp.
1: I see. I see. Yeah, I never even thought about that as a possibility. But once you get injuries and stuff like that going on there, you've got to be careful about how you implement it, right? Yeah, like that's never, something they should be taking care of. He was stuck of. in yeah. there for like 10 minutes. Jesus. And then he was wow. limping limping back. Wow. That's a shame. Okay, and then the other thing I want to talk about is Justin Roberts. We we talked about the ring announcer before in Chikara and how he did a great job and Mike thought he was an awesome dude and I thought his hair was fucking nonsense, but like I thought his work yeah. was really good. This Justin Roberts guy, you know, very professional. I remember him from the WWE. I didn't know why he was ever let go. I thought he fits that corporate image very well. He sounds very professional. Did a good job here. I, I'm not sure why he was, like, or whatever, but what do you think about Justin Roberts? He's very
0: good. I, I think he's, everything that you said, I, you know, I, I hear, uh, for the ROH matches, Bobby Cruz does the intros, and I love it. I, I, It's just nostalgic. He's got a really good voice, too, and I'm like, oh, I wish they had Bobby Cruz, like, doing every match, but then I'm like, ah, but Justin Roberts is good. Yeah, he
2: is good. He's good. And I agree with you, though. Like, he does fit, fit that corporate yeah. image. Great look right. for a corporation. I was pleased yeah. with him.
1: So then the match starts, and, you know, my notes are fucking endless. This is like a 30-minute match with like 40 pages of notes, and, you know, I I don't know if it makes the audience really, or who's listening to our podcast, if they really want to hear every single fucking spot. So I'm not going to go over every spot. I'm going to go over a bunch of spots that I think are very important, and we'll discuss those because it's just too much going on here. So, first, they go in, the match starts off, they build a little bit of tension, Paige spits in Matt Jackson's face to create this kind of like adversity between the two groups. And then we get a couple of really good spots. I'm gonna talk about one that I'd never seen before. The I can't remember if it's Matt Jackson or Nick Jackson, but he does a mortal combat. Liu Kang running kick. I've never seen that before. I thought it was fucking great. I don't know how he has the agility to circle his air, like feet in the air, like a bicycle kick, but it looked exactly like the Liu Kang kick. It's awesome. Is there a name for that move? I don't
0: know what it is. I'm sure Freeman would know.
1: I see. It's, It's great. He does that regularly? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so nice. It is. So fucking nice. Yeah, it was really great. I, I didn't think it was humanly possible. Okay, then, well, yeah, from there, the Bucks take over in the beginning. And the Bucks take over. There's a lot of, like, tag work here where you can tell these guys just know each other so well. They're kind of like, well, of course, they're brothers. But without even talking about it, without even looking at each other, they have a sensibility about what the other guy is going to do. I think the Briscoe brothers in the match we saw a few episodes ago were very much the same way. The coordination and the fluidity here is just fucking next level. Meet any thoughts about that? Honestly,
2: watching like I didn't, I, I took it, I took for granted how how good they were until I watched this match. I watched it over, I watched it over three, three, three times in a row right away. and Then I came back to watch it. Right. I just there was no there was and did there was very rarely a missed spot. Mm. there was no time like all the time they had they used it wisely and they had a perfect flow for the match.
1: yeah, you know what I agree with you whenever there was a double team move, like there was some miss spots when they tried to do like single stuff, but for tag spots or like joint spots, they were just oh, sharp uh. as fuck. Mike, what would you think about that tag work, that double-team
0: <laughs> I think people have heard me gush about the Young Bucks a lot over yeah. these episodes. So, yeah, I think they're outstanding.
2: They're outstanding. You know, even, even the missed spots, though, they they yeah. found a way to make them, make them look smooth, yeah, though. Yeah. yeah, they were very they good. Missed, they missed them smoothly. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And so I never, ever have, in any of these episodes, talked about a single thing that's been positive about my brother and so I realized this is a fucking chance for me. I'm not trying to make amends. But the Young Bucks fluidity here, it kind of took me back. And so I played basketball once, meet with Mike. Mike and a bunch of his friends came out. We played it by a park near his house. And like, you know, it, like we were just fooling around and shooting the shit and we had a nice little game. But when I was in high school, we used to play basketball all the fucking time. And whenever we'd play two on two, it doesn't matter where we'd go, whatever park we'd be at, me and my brother would fucking mop the floor with people. And it's not (laughs) because we were particularly great. He's a great athlete. And it's not because we were particularly great, but it's because I could, I had a sense like I knew wherever the fuck he was going to be without ever looking at him, without ever hearing a word out of his mouth. I just had a sensibility about the way he was going to move and how he would move. And I could like blind, no look passes all over the place. And I got that same feeling between these two guys here. And so, you know, I understand what that feeling is like, of. Understanding and knowing where somebody is going to be and when they're going to be there yeah. and how they're going to get there and not worrying about you know the setup or like trying to choreograph it was just it was it's natural for them it was just natural yeah it was just beautiful beautiful beautiful
2: I would my I, buddy I play hockey with we're the same way on the ice we know we just know we've been playing together for so long we just know mm. let's just know it to, we don't have to we don't have to even say anything.
1: Right, when you have that camaraderie in a game, it's kind of beautiful. I think and it's beautiful here. It's just that you it makes it fun. Yeah, right. It
2: keeps it fun because you're because you're actually playing the game. You're not out, you know, you you doing what you're supposed to, use your teammate. Right. my old okay. space partner here. My boy Meat. Yeah, there it is. That's right. The nickel.
1: Okay, and then from there, I don't know why Mike, but Adam Page out of nowhere, Angry Tags Omega, and I didn't get why there was an angry slap on the chest tag here? I'm not sure if you remember the spot well. Yeah, yeah. So I want.
0: It's just been a, a big leading up with them, you know, like with uh, even in their matches they've had a little bit, of, you know, they've they've had mm-hmm. like dissension. So people have been I waiting see. for it to happen for a while, and then they waited, you know, but, wow. but it, it, was, it was it was all all stuff leading up to that to the I match. See. I, see, I see. They, they've had the bouts for a little bit there. Uh, and and they've had, the, you know, other problems too. So it's not aside from just like the problems of the box. They've had problems between themselves.
1: I see. I see. Okay. So then he makes the tag, comes in, and then the double team work and the ref lack of count starts happening. And uh, f- after finally, when things get settled down, Matt Jackson gives one of the greatest pile drivers I've ever seen. Oh, my seen. God, yeah holy shit. You know, you worry like in the 1970s, like that's an outlawed move. Some territories made it illegal because guys could be breaking their neck. And the way you see guys deliberate who are safe, they do absolutely everything to make sure somebody's neck is not damaged. But it seems like Matt Jackson is doing everything he can to damage somebody's neck. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> holy shit, it was stiff. But really nice. Really, really, really nice. Okay, and then after that, Paige comes in, clears out the ring, and does a beautiful moonsault from the apron, climbs the top rope, you know, uh, moonsault to the ground, lands on his feet. I don't know how big he is. He's pretty big, right, yeah. Mike? I mean, you know. He must be like 6'3", 6'4". Oh, I don't know if he's
0: that tall. I he see. He probably looked it because uh, the other guys aren't very tall.
1: Uh, I see. I see. But he seems really big for him to be that agile. was really impressive. And then uh, they get back in the ring, and then Omega and Page start double-team maneuvers, one after the other after the other, until finally Omega throws uh, Matt into Page for a backdrop driver. But as he goes for it, Matt lands on the top of his yeah. head. I think... Yeah, I think it was, like, not intentionally brutal, but he just, he slipped, right? And it happens sometimes. And it was just fucking vicious looking. Took me back to All Japan Pro Wrestling. Meet, do you remember that spot? Yes,
2: I do. Look like it was going to hurt him real bad.
1: Yeah, it was very, very devastating. And then from there, Mike, I'm going to ask you about this fucking Canadian destroyer from the outside into the inside in the center of the ring. It could have been the finish. I thought it was fucking beautiful. Really devastating. Yeah. Crowd is losing their mind. And if it had finished there, nobody would have been disappointed. But this is not even like 20%. But that was one the of match. the best <laughs> Canadian stories. That was in
0: my notes too. Like uh, the, off the Nick Jackson backflip off the, the, the top rope I hang in on the outside ramp to the
1: inside. That's correct. Yeah, that that's was really correct. good. Right. Oh, it was really, really good. Really good. And then from there... I don't get this. You know, Matt Jackson hits a gets his super kick countered by a knee, and then all of a sudden, Adam Page starts setting up for like he's gonna do the chicken wing, but he starts doing this like ridiculous looking fucking dance in the ring. It's like the Rock before he does the people's elbow or whatever, and the crowd starts losing my. But he looks ridiculous. I don't know what the fuck uh,
0: that is. So loud when I saw that dude. So that's what I mean, there's like so many little things in here that like so like. This is pre, uh, like a lot of guys got busted in the speaking out movement thing. So like, Marty Skrull, you haven't seen since then, but more, Marty Skrull was a huge name at that point. Marty Skrull was part of their group. That was Marty Skrull's thing. So they're boys, you know, everybody uh, wanted to see, everybody wanted to see Marty Skrull in AEW at the time. So it was like it was like a shout out to his boy.
1: I see that makes but a lot yeah, more and, sense. and that,
0: that's the reason the crowd went nuts because everybody wanted to see him in AEW too. You know.
1: Uh, he was the guy, He
0: was like the guy that wasn't there. He ended up signing with Ring of Honor. To, he, he worked like he got like a huge deal for so, like a, a very small amount of dates, but he was doing booking and stuff. But then he got he got fired after after stuff came out. He was with a young girl, like sixteen uh, or seventeen or something, though.
1: Uh, I like, see. You know, not uh,
0: yeah, yeah not acceptable. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay. Then from there, we get uh, after the chicken wing, Nick Jackson. I don't know how you explain it, but like he rolls backwards over page to escape which is a beautiful fucking escape of the chicken wing that Mm -hmm. i never thought of before and then instantly matt delivers the 450 like with no gap in between the timing is perfect the delivery is fucking smooth the crowd is losing their mind great spot work i i love the transitions here i love the like the fluidity of the movements just the referee was the only thing that bothered me. But a great, really, really great work here. Meet, what were your thoughts on the 450 there? That's flawless. That was a flawless
2: one. That's, that's 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 what makes that that move. Seeing that move at it done done like that is what makes that move so special. Yeah, it was it was beautiful.
1: And then from there, a couple of the Omega and Page take over after a little bit. And then we get, I don't know what the fuck this is. It's Paige goes to the top And it's a fall away moonsault suplex slam. What the fuck was
0: that? God, yeah, I know that's amazing too. There's that the, the the spot you mentioned before. I thought was great with the 450. It was seamless. You didn't see the guy. Like sometimes you see the other guy waiting to do the move. You did not. Like it like it just happened so it just happened so fast and so smooth. And and that whatever the hell Page did off the top
1: of the rope was right. ridiculous. And then so that should be the finish. But it's not a finish again. Another close fall. Then Omega does a bunch of V triggers. I don't fucking really like the V tr- I'm not a big fan of like the knee strikes. I know the knees hurt. I've I've been hit with knees before. You know, compared to like all this other shit, I think the V triggers are a little bit weak looking. What do you think about that, Mike? You like the V I trigger? I love the
0: v- I love it. I think his are outstanding. I love Matt Riddle's. Like I love when they do that. I love the knees, the floor, those V trigger knees like that. Yeah, I I, I love it. I think that's. I think those are great.
2: I see. Meat. You also like the V trigger? I like it when when a, when a smaller wrestler when a bigger guy does it doesn't look as good.
1: Yeah, doesn't equalize
2: it for a little guy and a big guy. Yeah, One
1: right. of
0: those guys aren't going to throw somebody around. So, like, say he gets in a match. With like a Wardlow who's like a freaking monster, you know, you're going to need to, you're going to need to beat those guys with something. I think a flying knee does it better than like trying to pretend that they're going to like body slam some guy or throw or power by, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed, agreed. (laughs) Okay, and then from there, Omega delivers... All Japan style full Nelson suplexes back to back that drive the bucks in Japan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! <The> Dragon <laughs> suplexes are sick, dude.
1: Oh my god, fantastic! And then the Tiger Driver '98. Oh. I you know I I shouldn't be saying this, but he delivered it better than Misawa. Yeah. It's that fucking good. Oh, it was so fucking great. Oh, it was great. And so perfection is an understatement. If you want to see the perfect tri- Tiger Driver 98, watch him deliver it here. The guys are light too, so that helps, right? Yeah, like he yeah. can hold the weight up. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's really good. But just outstanding. And again, there's no fucking finish. It's a two count. And so from there, you just when you think you've seen it all, Fucking Nick Jackson delivers a reverse huran kanrana off the top rope where Omega lands on his head and now suddenly you don't know who the fuck's gonna win the match, right? Like so oh it was great. Like I agree, you know, when there's like a build up and then a close fall, and then another team takes over, and then they build up and a close fall. Like that type of storytelling is good, but here at any one instant one move could turn around the match and you had no idea what direction it was going. That's where these guys are really, really great. Really yeah. great. Yeah. Meet, what did you think about the reverse Huron Kanrana off the top rope? That was sick.
2: Like this whole match, I was—I didn't realize how good of a match this was until I watched yeah. it. Yeah,
1: again, right? Once you see it again, then you get to appreciate it. Once you watch it again and again, wow, this is great. This is great. This is, I, the spots are great. And then from there, they go out onto the ramp, and I believe it's Matt Jackson who does the Northern Lights rolling yeah, triple yeah. Suplex, suplex combo. You know, I don't want to say I'm dissatisfied, but I think what could have put this spot over the top is, you know how the ramp was broken into two parts? Like one was a glass part and the one glass, was like a yeah. wood part. Yeah. I On the third one, he hit the glass part and every Inch of my body was expecting that the third Northern light suplex was going to go through yeah, the ramp, the shatter. right? Yeah, the shatter. I was expecting the shatter to come, and then when the shatter didn't come, because it was so fucking beautiful, it was just, it was incredible. I thought it was a perfect point to do the shatter and go through, and they didn't go that way, but uh, and it was no less impressive. But it, I think that would have been like the standout spot had they done that. Then from there, you know, we get back in. The spike, I didn't like the spike tombstone that much. I don't like the tombstone to begin with. It looked a little bit soft. What did you think about the spike tombstone on the ramp? Oh, yeah, it was
0: off by a a little bit there too.
1: Right, right, right. The timing was a little bit off. It it would look good. I guess if you're live and you're like in an obstructed angle or not seeing it head on, you might not even realize it's off. But on TV, it looks a little bit off. And then uh, from there, they get back in the ring and Omega looks like he's beat. And what happens? They do a Quackenbush and a Eddie Kingston spot where he takes a finish and kicks out at one. And oh, that was sick. this is exactly where me and Mike popped for the Kingston and Quackenbush match and said, we wish we had another four or five minutes. These guys must have fucking listened to our episode because they went another four or five minutes exactly as long as they should have. And then they put the match to like an all Japan kind of finish great psychology, her outstanding. Oh, light. yeah. Did
0: you, did you get to the part where a hangman got, got lariated? Or did the lariat, I mean? And Ross, uh,
1: and, and not Ross yet. goes a little it, bit like John Deere ran him over.
0: And then, yeah. he, like, Caliver says, Oris, Hansen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oris, yeah, he that said that, cool. right. <laughs> you, it's cool. It's cool that they know the history and uh, they incorporate that into the commentary. He often does. they not ashamed like of like, really wrestling like. history.
0: They talk about other companies and other you know other guys that haven't worked there.
1: That's correct. They don't That's insult correct. Like okay, and then and- yeah, they don't insult your intelligence as a wrestling yeah. fan. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, we're getting very close to the finish. We got uh, the what is this a uh, a buckshot? buckshot two, what is this? Yeah, the buckshot lariat and then a V-trigger for a close two. And then finally, we get close to the finish. Hangman Page delivers a one-winged angel because Omega can't do it. And you can feel like the finish is coming. He gives one buckshot lariat to one young buck, gives another one to the other one, and we have a finish. It's 30 minutes. Felt like it was five. It was fucking excellent. You know, other than the ref issue... This might be the perfect tag team match, right? If you made this, I think you make this a no countout, no DQ match. This is the perfect tag team match, maybe. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, yeah
0: that, that's why. I mean, you agree? That's why, with like everything going in and like all the little things, like on the store, like after the match is over and he grabs the ropes and, and Omega, like he's gonna, th- he's thinking about giving Kenny Omega the buckshot lariat. while after they won the match. And Tony right. Schiavone goes, you know, maybe I saw something. And Excalibur goes, you know, Tony, I think I saw the same thing. It's just like there's a lot of little things in there. The Marty girl thing, you know, the, the spit in the face. Matt and him had a lot going up into it and in the trust issues with him and Kenny. It, it, with all that stuff like that was like building up, like, and they, they just played it to the match so subtly. Mwah. <laughs> marvelous. Yeah.
1: Mike, is that Tony Khan? Coming up with that, or is that
2: these guys who's doing that that's those guys that's yeah. got to be those guys mm. there's no way you can't like they, they, they had to discuss it but I, I I'm sure as hell they called that in the fucking ring right there they, yeah. there's no way they could they could her, rehearse that you couldn't have that match more than once and have that, that much you know what I mean I have a lot more respect for all four of these guys after this match because they, they 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 left nothing on yeah, the table I think we trust them. You know, those guys, you know,
0: he's pretty trustful with the wrestlers to begin with, but I, from what you hear, but like those guys, I think have earned up enough trust with them that uh, I'm sure they've pretty- talked about the story and where they wanted it to go and, and, and it was building. And then, you know, they went, they went back to to a uh, a lot of this spots in this when when Omega and, and Page finally wrestled for the title. Uh, I see. I so, see. So I see. you see like, there's so like, they, they weave stuff through their, through their matches and through just like the smallest segments, the s- most subtle little things, and it's it's just so nice when when like they, they're really good at it, man. They're really good, and Tony Khan's a, a big part of like it now. You I know, see. He's yeah. more more now than he than before.
1: I see. Is it improving with him involved or no? It's been it's been awesome. Yeah, when when I
0: when I'm one, when I'm questioning if every episode is like the best episode, except for like maybe there were a few couple weeks weeks where it was just like eh you know I I don't my only complaint was that I'd like to see uh more more variety in the the guys that are on they 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 really get a ton of people on the show it's it's like after the two hours your freaking head is spinning honestly but but I'd like to see more uh, there's some guys that you just aren't seeing enough of and I'd like to see I need to see Miro back I know he did some work in Hollywood but I'm ready for some Miro I don't care what he does I just want to
1: see him back Yeah, they've got the roster they've got is so comprehensive, so deep. It's hard to put everybody to good use, right? That's another problem. I think that's a problem they're going to face going down the line. Like, how to use everybody in an effective way and give them like prime time exposure. That's tricky. Who the
2: fuck
0: is that guy? Who the fuck is that guy?
1: This week's Who the fuck is that guy? There's only. Four rounds, and round four, I win. You only got three chances here. We all know this guy. It's a very interesting choice. I was not familiar with the other characters, but it makes sense once I knew who it was. We'll start with you, Mike. Who the fuck is that guy? Round one, Stagger Lee. Junkyard Dog? Holy fuck. Sorry, meat, it's over.
2: <laughs> yeah, I thought it was then. <laughs>
1: Holy
2: shit. Wow, that's a mic drop. Yeah, that's wow. like, yeah, that's that's like
0: the initial. I, I I when I I'm like, that's the dog, right? Holy shit. So his <laughs> name are- is I kill a lot of brain cells, but I
1: That's fucking where did he wear Stagger Lee? Where was that?
0: I'm sure I'm pretty Deep south. South, south? south, yeah, yeah. Deep so South.
1: His characters were Stagger Lee. Leroy Rochester. Talk about stereotypical. Uh, big- See, that
0: should have been the first one. I would have never got Leroy Rochester. Uh, I would have then, thought Leroy, My guess would have been Leroy Gutterman.
1: Uh And then. <laughs> <laughs> I baseball for the three of us, but. Yeah. And then uh, Big Daddy Ritter and then Junkyard Dog. Holy
0: shit. Oh, I would have never got the Ritter thing, I don't think, either. Even though I was last, you know, would, I still probably would have, would oh, have missed wow, on that. Very
1: good, Mike. So, you know, second last. Yeah, wow. Okay, well, anyways, you shut meat out. It's nice revenge. And so meat, you gotta hopefully I'll give you a shot next week first, and then you can catch up on what? 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 In our internet bullshit, we have a list again from the bleacher report. The bleacher report has produced a list of the toughest wrestlers ever in the wrestling business and instead of producing 10 they produced a list of 20 but i don't want to go through the list of all 20 so what i'm going to do is i'm going to quickly ruffle through 20 through 11 and then we're going to talk about the top 10 so here we go the toughest wrestlers ever in the history of wrestling and mike in case you're wondering this list was published in 2012 thank you okay here we go number 20 jack briscoe Number nineteen, Ming. Number eighteen, Doctor Death, Steve Williams. Number seventeen, Masahiko Kimura, the guy who's famously known for the Kimura armbar. Uh, number sixteen, Luthes. Number fifteen, Kurt Angle. Number fourteen, Kiyoshi Tamura. Number four, 13. That's uh, thirteen. Yeah. Number thirteen, Judo Jean Label. Number twelve. Billy Robinson, and number 10, Masakatsu Funaki. Okay, so here we go with the top 10.
0: That's pretty good so far.
1: It's excellent.
0: Yeah, right. That's impressive. Meng at 19. How bad are the, how like badass are the first 18 if Meng is 19?
1: Right. Okay, so I agree. 20 through 11 is awesome. Okay, here we go. Number 10, Ed the Strangler Lewis. Mike, thoughts? We, we, none of us ever saw this guy, right? Yeah. We fucking no idea. No fucking idea. <laughs> no idea. Meet any idea about Ed the strangler lewis? I know who he is, but Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I could Meet? make
2: up a I could make up a story to fill some time, but no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know.
1: Okay, number 9. I never heard of this guy before. Tom Jenkins. Mike, you ever heard of him?
0: Wow, man. I got to tell you something. I uh-huh. I know a decent amount of guys from like the 1900s to like now, and I'm talking like early from this game I play because some of these people are super into these old timers, and I have never, ever heard of Tom Jenkins.
1: <laughs> I thought so. I had no clue either. Okay, number nine, Tom Jenkins. Number eight, Carl Gotch, a very famous guy. I think everybody's got this reputation. He's one of the original hookers and shooters. Very, very great reputation. I haven't seen anything about him, but I've heard a lot. Mike, I suppose you're in the same vein.
0: In the same vein, you know. I, I've heard tons and tons about
2: Carl Gage, but what I know of him is, you know, it,
1: just a yeah. written, right? Meet same.
2: I want to say, I want to, yeah, just say, I'll say the same.
1: Okay, next, here we go. So ten, nine, eight, number seven, Ken Shamrock. Meet thoughts on Ken Shamrock.
2: I don't. I would take Carl Gage over Ken Shamrock, but, <laughs> but Ken Shamrock is a bad boy. There's no, there's no lying there. He's a bad boy, and in in real life,
1: yeah, he was. I I don't know if he was ever a UFC champion, but in the early days of the UFC, he was always up in the main event. Yeah, uh, he had a lot of big, big profile fights. Mike, what would you think of Ken Shamrock?
0: I mean, he was legit. I I don't know. I, I don't know that I. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe he's a top 10. He's mm. it's tough. There's there's a lot of good guys that were mentioned between eleven and twenty.
1: Yeah, agreed, agreed. Okay, so Ken Shamrock, the next one. Another guy, much like Tom Jenkins, I have no fucking clue. Joe Stetcher.
0: Okay, I heard of Joe Stecker.
1: Oh, uh, you, oh, Stecker, Stecker. Okay, Joe Stecker. Yeah, yeah I don't know I, the I've fuck never he seen is.
0: him, but I, I've, def- he's through that, through, through that game. Yeah, I've, I know who he is.
1: So he's another early, like 20s, 30s shooter. Yeah. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Meet, any idea? No, none. Okay. Next, <laughs> somebody we're all familiar with. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five. Number five, Brock Lesnar. It's a fucking beast. He's a gr- good wrestler, maybe great wrestler. Interesting MMA athlete. Did very well in the UFC. UFC champion. I think he's a beast. Mike, thoughts on Lesnar?
0: It Again, that's pretty
1: undeniable, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Top ten is reasonable. I don't know. I think five might even it's be too reasonable.
0: Low. I wouldn't put him. I, I don't even know. You know, like maybe I throw him at ten. It's hard to say because right. there's so many, so many good guys that that were named already so far. So,
1: right. Meet thoughts on Lesnar.
2: And legit badass. He just says he's a fucking freak.
1: Do you think five is a reasonable rating for him, or it's too li- low or too well, high? So far, or? yeah.
2: Like Mike says, who's so far? Like he's definitely on it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It, it, it's all subjective to what the fuck the, the next four guys are okay so <laughs> and he's gonna probably have uh, more accomplishments
0: than most of the guys on the
2: list agree more
0: celebrated a-
1: athlete. absolutely agreed you're right okay number four frank gotch mike
0: yeah well, i would assume that he'd be on the list but i don't know you know so much of, uh, you know i know about him as much as i do as like a lot of these other guys like you know like
1: yeah I think a lot of the badass guys who were like super strong men were in the like the early carnival days, right, like twenties, thirties, and so this list might actually be correct. It's just we have no fucking clue how strong or not strong these guys were. It's just a lot of rumor and you know articles and stuff. It's it's hard to know. Like
2: county lore, like like you know like the like the legend of the carnival with these guys actually having to do that shit. Didn't some of them used to do a,
1: do this shit with bears and stuff too? Yeah, there was a guy, the wild man, the Canadian wild man who took a <laughs> bear around with him and traveled with the bear. There
0: right. There's another wild man from the south named Tracy Smothers who did it as well.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. He's wow. about as wild a man as they come. <laughs> right. Okay, number three, another guy I have no fucking clue, John Pesick. Mike?
0: John Pesick's old too, man. He's another one I know from that game. Yeah, I, I've never seen him either.
1: Uh yeah fuck I they they got a good list here like it's just a hard to know if this is credible or not credible meet anything about John pesic any idea?
0: No no, no no I never even heard of him. It's gonna be all these black trunk guys the guy and all these guys that just showed up in their black trunks from the early 1900s and they're gonna throw in like the Undertaker
1: in the top three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the top two I'm going to, I I left John pesic out because I thought there was no way you're gonna get it, Mike. You know. These two, okay, that they're the two for Listbuster. The list has been pretty good so far, and I'm gonna be honest with you if I think about these two, they fit in this list. I don't know about positioning, but they, they should be here, they should be here somewhere. Oh my god, Piper and Race. No, they went like legit. They tried to make a legit list here.
2: Oh. Yeah, that's tough. But legit, I thought Piper and, and fucking Race were bad boys. They could fight, they could take care of themselves.
1: When you hear number two and number one meet, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh. At least one of them, yeah.
0: Legit badass, yeah. Um, Man, I, right away, I thought Ming was going to be in the top of, top of the list from all the stories you hear.
1: Me too. You always hear a good yeah, Ming I, story. I
0: don't, know, like, <laughs> I don't know who they put on here.
1: Okay, so number two is a Japanese legend. Mike and I loved him when he was in his peak, Kazushi Sakuraba. It doesn't like seem right, but when you think about it, he fucking destroyed guys who were way, way, way heavier than him. And he was a great fighter. But I don't know if you'd consider him the toughest, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, he he, I I absolutely love him. He's one of my favorite fighters ever. He was so much fun to watch, and there's no way I'd put him in the top twenty. Right. I don't even consider him a professional wrestler. I consider him a a, a fighter. Yeah,
1: his wrestling stuff was fucking awful, awful, awful. awful. Yeah, he's,
0: he's yeah. a fighter, man. He's a fighter who liked to wrestle during the fights. <laughs> right, right. And so pro like, wrestle.
1: Yeah, he he now works for. Uh, when you was-
0: said hey, someone that we love in their prime, and I and I knew it wasn't Inoki in, in because of like how. You know, you skipped, you said you didn't yeah. say I was right. right. So I thought you were saying somebody like Shinya or something.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. That, that seems like a le- reasonable pick, right? Yeah. Which still I even wouldn't put
0: ahead of like, you know, likely some of these guys, you
1: know. Correct. And number one, I only know the name, but I know I should know more about him, Mike. I'm sure you know about him, Danny Hodge.
0: I'd, oh, fuck. I was going to say, da- I was thinking Danny Hodge back at like pick seven, and I forgot to say it.
1: Uh, I see.
0: Yeah, I, I, I heard lots of good stuff about him, but I don't know much about him either, like as far as seeing him wrestle.
1: Right. So, what's good about this list? Like, this is the first time the internet bullshit list is kind of good, but the problem with this list is who the fuck knows any of these guys? <laughs> 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 yeah, you gotta right. <laughs> be, you got to be 107. <laughs> right. It's all you, you mix in <laughs> Sakuraba. Lesnar and uh, who else here? And Shamrock into a list of guys who are like dead for the last 50 years. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any
2: sense. And Ning didn't even make the top 10, I'm surprised about that. Yeah. Yeah. No one listened
0: to shoot interviews before in 2012. I mean No, I guess not. You ask anybody now, they say that dude's like the bad bad ass.
2: That that's like the legend. That guy is the badass. Nobody fucks. Who so the him. hell
0: knows you know, how Danny would hold up against Ming or anybody for that
2: matter? <laughs> yeah, no.
0: Right? What the fuck? Booking right. Superman versus uh you know the, the
1: dynamite kid. It, it's not real. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay, so never disappointing. Bleacher bullshit list internet bullshit list comes back strong this week with a list nobody can fucking understand. Right. And the last segment this week, this or that a tricky question. It's a little bit hard, I think, to come to a decision either way. Meat, we'll start with you. This or that. The moon salt or the 450 Splash?
2: The 450 Splash, especially if the motherfucker knows what he's doing, doing it.
1: Is there anybody who's 450 Splash you like, like in particular?
2: Ricochets. Uh, yeah, he's smooth. He's really smooth. He could probably do it 900. Nine, yeah, 900
1: maybe. <laughs> right. yeah, he, that that, he's like the Tony Hawk fucking doing that shit. <laughs> All right, Mike, how about you, the moonsault or the 450 splash? 450
0: by a mile. You know, it was cool the first time you saw the moonsault, but I it, the 450 splash is nice.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, it's a clean sweep this week. You know, I think a lot of guys proved that almost anybody could do a moonsault. Like when Terry Funk did it, it took away the mystique of like how hard it was to do. And no, no offense to Terry Funk. I think it's great that he did it at 50 fucking years old. But I don't think a fifty-year-old Terry Funk is doing a four-fifty splash. (laughs) You know, like this, no fucking way. Just think
0: how dangerous that moonsault is with these guys getting hurt on it. Imagine, like, thinking when you're standing on that top rope that you're gonna do 450-degree rotation. Yeah, it's fucking nuts.
1: you have it breaking your neck,
2: and you gotta be spot on, or it's your fucking life, or his life, or you guys are gonna be fucked up if he, if something goes wrong.
1: Right, the first time I think I saw it was uh, Hayabusa, and then after that, like guys have made it just so much better. And that fucking guy I- Ibushi. His height and his speed on the rotations is fucking incredible. So I, I just think it's way more impressive looking than the moonsault.
2: Ricochet just feels it. Just looks like he's moving faster than he is. Like it's
1: weird, man. It's just there's a couple of guys who are just outstanding, like athletically, just fantastic. Yeah, amazing.
0: Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Six manpodcast You can tag in with a DM. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write to us at sixmanpodcast at gmail.com. For now, it's time to tag out...
1: What? He's using
0: hypnosis!